about a year ago, I noticed a pattern in my life. Whenever I would ask somebody, how are you doing? They would normally respond like this. They would say, we're busy. I'm busy. How you doing? Busy, 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 busy. You guys remember that? Now it's a little different. When I ask people, how are you doing? There's usually a little bit of a kind of a glance of the eye. Maybe they're feeling a bit anxious with everything going on in the world. Sometimes when I say, how are you doing? People say, I'm kind of tired or I'm exhausted. Or if someone's feeling really honest and vulnerable with me, I'll say, how are you doing? And they'll say, you know, just kind of sad, actually. Exhausted and sad. Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but is there anybody here who, over the last several months, has had moments of feeling exhausted or sad because of everything going on in the world? You know, in today's scripture reading, we encounter two people who, at the beginning of the story, are sad. They're exhausted. They're bewildered. They're confused. They are in despair. At the end of verse 17, it has us take a glimpse at them and look at them walking on the road as they were from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And it says at the end of verse 17, there they were looking sad. But by the end of the story, they are so filled with joy that they have turned around from their despair and they are running and the joy that fills their hearts is so overflowing from them that they can't help telling everybody that they see about this joy that they have. Now, when I asked you a moment ago, do you feel any measure of exhaustion or sadness from everything going on in the world? If you resonated with that at all, we should pay attention to what happens in today's scripture because the things that change these two people's hearts from sad to overflowing joy, the very same things that changed these people are available to us as well. And we can take our sadness overflowing joy, just like they did in the scripture. So let's pay attention. Let's stick with this for the next 20 minutes out here in the cold wind and discover what they discovered to bring our sadness to joy. Shall we? Yes, I love hearing that. The world that they were living in was broken. There was corruption all around. Did you hear their telling, these two travelers from Jerusalem to Emmaus, did you hear their telling of history? This is the situation that they're living in. Look with me at verse 19. When they're asked what's going on, what things are you talking about? Here's what they said in verse 19. They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. It's a dire situation. Their description of the happenings in Jerusalem are pretty depressing. There was this one 
We had hoped in him. We had hoped that he would redeem us. Picture this now. These people had encountered Jesus. Can you imagine encountering Jesus as he walked this earth? What did they hear him say? They had probably heard him say things that they had never heard anybody say before. They had, he had stirred things in their hearts. Maybe they had seen him touch and heal and perform signs and wonders. We had hoped in him. And what happened next? It says that the chief priests and the rulers, what did they do with this special, wonderful man who had begun changing our lives, the one we had placed our hope in? What did our religious rulers and our political rulers conspire to do when they encountered this man? They killed him like a criminal on a cross. The despair bear in these two travelers' hearts must have, been, must have been very real. Look, I know we have a lot of corruption in our time right now, don't we? There's swirling narratives and chaos and disruption and division. I don't need to tell anybody here about that. You know. But can you imagine? This is what happened. Their, their chief priests and their rulers conspired to kill Jesus. Imagine if there was someone as special and wonderful as Jesus, one that we put our hopes in, and then you learned that, that the pastors and the politicians teamed up together to publicly execute this one that you found so hopeful. It's an awful situation. And so... Let's look together and find out what did Jesus offer to these travelers in their despair, in their sadness? What did he offer to them? Look with me at verse 15. We begin seeing what Jesus offers to us when we are in despair from the swirling chaos of corruption and division and terror. Verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. You see that? Jesus himself. Luke wrote this gospel. I believe this is Luke's way of telling us this was Jesus himself. This was the one who rose literally, actually, physically, materially out of the grave. This wasn't some phantom. This wasn't some ghost. This wasn't someone who looked like Jesus. This wasn't a memory they had of Jesus. This was an actual, literal resurrection. He died on the cross, but then he walked bodily out of the tomb. Jesus himself drew near to them. You can't mistake it, guys. Jesus himself drew near to them in their despair, in their confusion, in their chaos. And you know, one of the things I love about worshiping with you all and lifting up the name of Jesus is that the very same Jesus who drew near to these people draws near to us in our worship. Do you feel his presence? Let me just pray right now that he would draw near to us. Jesus, if it's true, that you rose from the dead and you appeared to these two people on the road to Emmaus, if it's true that you conquered sin and death by literally rising from the dead, then it's true that you could visit us today too, that you're still alive. So Holy Spirit, with your power and your presence, will you usher in the very spirit of Jesus that you might draw near to us as well. We're sad and exhausted too, and we need you. Come draw near. Amen. Now, once Jesus...
draws near to them and to us. He offers two very simple things. I love this. Jesus himself draws near to them and to us, and he offers two very simple things, word and sacrament. Word and sacrament. We say in our mission and vision materials here at Stanwich Church that we are a word and sacrament church. The word is what we're getting right now. And we're going to go to the table in a moment for sacrament, word and sacrament. And this is what Jesus offers to those travelers on the road, first beginning with the word. Look with me at verse 25. As they're walking along, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Think about this with me. Here's these two travelers. They've just experienced the despair and the hopelessness of watching Jesus be crucified, and they're walking dejected back to their lives. And Jesus draws near to them. He could have offered them really anything in the world, you know. He could have said, oh, I heard about those chief priests and those rulers conspiring together to do this awful thing. I've heard about the political and religious corruption in your land. You know what you guys should probably do about that? You should get a new Twitter account and start putting you know, your version of the truth out there on Twitter. He could have suggested that. He could have offered them any solution, but what did he give them? He gave them a Bible study. That's it. He gave him a Bible study, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted them, the scriptures concerning himself. This is the coolest Bible study ever, with Jesus himself walking along, exposing the truths of scripture, the true narrative, the timeless word of God. He didn't say, you know what, you guys need to switch your cable news channel from Fox News to CNN. That's where you get the truth. No, he didn't say anything like that. He didn't say change the channel. He said, go to the timeless truth, the everlasting word. No, no human narrative will do right now. Let me bring you to a Bible study. And that's what he did. You know, the week before the election, a couple of weeks ago, I got several earnest and urgent requests that I would preach an election sermon. A political sermon. Nathan, you got to get out there and preach politics to get people to the polls. And there was this apocalyptic language attached to these requests. And I replied to every single one. And I said, you know, at Stanwich, we don't do that. We don't preach politics. We preach the word every Sunday. And I gave them Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand for presidents come and presidents go, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. This is the narrative we go to at this church. We don't tell you to switch the cable news channel or go on the right Twitter page. No, we go back to the word because that's what Jesus did Amen. to these travelers on the road to Emmaus. It changes us. It centers us in the swirl of chaotic narratives going around us in our culture. The timeless word of God centers us on the timeless truths of God. Thursday morning in my men's Bible study, it was really wonderful. We were just looking at the word together and talking about it. And 
we were just, one of the guys remarked, he said, you know, most of my days begin with me waking up, reaching for my phone, and checking the news. And my day starts with that, and it's full of anxiety and tension and division. But on Thursdays, I get together with you guys, and we open the word instead, and my day goes much better. And the other guys were agreeing with it, and one of the guys said, Nathan, do you think maybe we could do this Bible study every morning? <laughs> and I did the classic pastor move. I said, yeah, you're in charge. You go ahead and start a new one. <laughs> but he was expressing the desire to be centered on the timeless word of God. You guys, look what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus in the midst of swirling narratives about political and religious corruption. Jesus said, let's have a Bible study. You got to be in the word, folks. It's what Jesus offers to us in our sadness, in our exhaustion. But he offers one more thing as well. Sacrament. Look with me at verse 30. When he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? He brought them to a table and he lifted up bread and he broke it and he blessed it and he gave it to them and their eyes were opened. Guys, when we come to this table week after week after week, our eyes are opened. In the swirl of chaotic narratives and division and corruption in our land, we come to the word and then we come to the table. You know the truth that I realize every week when we come to this table? The truth that nothing on Twitter or Facebook or cable news will ever tell me. You know, usually the narrative on those sources of information, usually the narrative goes something like this. There's all those evil people out there ruining our nation. But they're not like you and me. We're the good guys. You see all those bad people out there? That's usually the narrative we get from our screens. But when we come to this table, we say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And that's the truth. And there's a lot less division in our land when we all recognize that. Isn't there? When we all come to this table and we confess to God that we've sinned against him in thought, word, and deed, and things we've done, and things we've left undone, we fail to love God with our whole heart, mind, and strength. We fail to love our neighbors as ourselves. We come back to the table of grace where God does not condemn us for those sins, but says, actually, that's why I went to the cross, to pay the price, so that you wouldn't be condemned, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could rise from this table and receive my Holy Spirit so that you can love me purely and so that you can love your neighbors bearing the fruit of the Spirit. That truth centers us every week. It's different than all the other swirling narratives being fed to us Monday through Saturday. We come back to this truth, the timeless truth of God's Word, where we're pointed to this reality that we just sang a few minutes ago that God reigns above it all and is worthy of our praise. That's the truth about him that we learn in the word and the truth about ourselves that we learn at the table is that we all have fallen and we all need redemption. It's not us versus them. Come on. 
It's simply God forgiving us at his table. He brings us to his banqueting table and his banner over us is love. And that's a message the world needs to hear. Look, what's hap look what happens to them right after they've experienced word and sacrament from the very presence of Jesus. Verse 33. They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. That word, the Lord has risen indeed, in the Greek, if you look at it in the Greek, it's just simply the word truth. The Lord has risen. It's true. That's true. In the swirling chaos of narratives and corruption and division and conspiracy theories and all the other stuff swirling around, they said, you want to know the truth that changes everything? It's that Jesus Christ, yes, he was killed. He was hung on the cross. He was crucified by the corrupt leaders of our time. But you want to know what's true? It's that he walked out of the tomb and he's still alive today. Hallelujah. That's the truth. That's the truth that changes everything, that gives us a spring in our step, that makes us overflow with joy and with the good news to share in this world full of swirling narratives. Jesus himself, word and sacrament. The same things that were offered to those travelers on the road to Emmaus that changed their lives from despair to joy are available to us as well. I feel better now than I did 20 minutes ago. <laughs> so let's go to the table now. Let's experience the risen Christ. Let's come back to the truth of who we are. Sinners in need of a savior. The prayer of confession is on page nine. Take a moment and think about ways that you have maybe bought in to some of the narratives of this world, us versus them. And let's make our honest confession to God together. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, help us amend what we are, and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Now, having confessed our sins, let's hear from the word. Let's hear from Psalm 103 to be reminded that God does not treat us as our sins deserve, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great, so much has our God loved those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so our God shows compassion to those who fear him. And because of his finished work on the cross, I can happily declare that we are forgiven.